People come to the San Francisco Bay Area for many reasons, a spectacular natural setting, a sophisticated lifestyle, and unique professional opportunities. Those seeking these qualities will find all that and more at Hacienda, where you can work, live, and grow. A Hacienda location means having the best of everything within easy reach. Whether it's world-class restaurants, theaters, and museums, the best learning institutions in the country, or some of the finest services available. That particularly applies to businesses wanting the best address to have easy access to needed resources, being among the industry leaders, and knowing that you are part of a region that leads the world in innovation. The result, an unbeatable combination that leads to success, and that is what you will find at Hacienda. Find out more by visiting Hacienda on the web at hacienda.org. In mid-2020, as the global COVID-19 pandemic was beginning to make its way across the globe, the hotel industry was anticipated to be extinct in the near future. And it very nearly came to be. However, just a year later, the swing has been one of the most remarkable in the commercial real estate industry. And today's guest, Alan Ray, president of Atlas Hospitality Group, will tell us just how that came to be. Alan has been one of the most prominent brokers in hospitality in California and has had the front seat to a remarkable industry that continues to break records, even while the uncertainties linger and business as usual is anything but that. Welcome to the podcast, Alan. Alan, good afternoon. How are you? I am good, Vlad. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Where does this podcast find you? Where are you? Um, right now, I'm uh, calling in from home in Newport Beach, and uh, it's a beautiful 74 degrees, so uh, cannot complain. It's a beautiful day. Yeah, exactly. And and I should, just for audience, I, I should say this is the end of October, and it's 74 and sunny, right? Uh, up in the Pacific Northwest, it's quite the opposite. It's wet and rainy and uh, not not as nice, but you know, uh, you know, to each his own, right? Um, well, Alan, by way of introduction, tell us a little about you know you, your background, your company, what you guys do. Yes, um, as you might detect from the accent, I'm originally from England. Um, started off working with a international hotel guide way back in the day when people used to use travel agencies and pre-internet, and they would use a travel guide to pick their hotels. And uh, that uh, basically took me all over the world, all through Europe, uh, then to the United States. And um, in the early uh, mid-80s, I got into the real estate business and focused solely on hotels. And okay. around 20 years ago, started Atlas Hospitality Group, Atlas Hospitality Group, and we focus exclusively on the sale of California hotels. And we are currently just around 4.8 billion of hotels transacted, and it's really been a good specialty for us, and um, has proven to be a good business model. Yeah, and you and I know each other because you also produce these, you know, quarterly reports that we use and sort of reference in our stories about the the industry. Um, but tell us, you know, you in your work, you work with uh, companies that are trying to buy and sell properties. You work with brokers, owners. Uh, where where does your kind of uh, 
ex- expertise lie? Yeah, our expertise is really that we uh, focus on representing sellers with exclusive listings on uh, hotels. But yep. also as part of our business, um, I consult with a lot of the major lending institutions in terms of uh, their loan portfolios and um, you know consulting um, and, and helping out them in terms of what they're looking at with financing. Um, you know, I also speak at the appraisal institute and um, yep. help uh, appraisers in the in the hotel sector. But uh, primarily, we are a exclusive representation of sellers. Great, great. And so you you know exactly what the market wants and how far and how far things can go. So um, what I wanted to do with 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 our conversation, and we'll dig you know a little bit more deeper into into specific you know subsectors, if you will, of the of the industry. But I'd like to start with sort of where things are today and then take a step back and sort of, you know, look at sort of, you know, the last 20 months or so, the last couple of years. But um, if you can, in a, in a sort of kind of brief, you know, couple of minutes, you know, description, give us an overview of sort of where we are now. You know, here we are, you know, Q4 of 2021. How does the market look like? So um, if we look at the market on two aspects, one is in terms of performance, you know, in the hotel business, uh, we reference RevPAR, which is revenue per available room. And for the listeners that are not maybe as familiar with that terminology, that has to do with the average daily rate and the occupancy. So for example, if a, if a hotel is running a $100 rate at 50% occupancy, it has a $50 rev par. Yeah. So when we look at it from that standpoint, um, it's really a tale of you know two markets. One is the drive-to markets, which have done phenomenally well. And an example of that would be San Diego, Laguna Beach, Newport Beach, Cambria, any of the properties up and down the coast, as well as the hotels located out in the uh, you know the desert areas. Any of the drive-to markets have seen uh, record revenues in 2021. On the flip side, the hotels that are in downtown areas such as San Francisco and Los Angeles that rely heavily upon uh, convention and meeting business, as well as business traffic and international tourism, those hotels really still continue to struggle uh, through 2021. So that gives you a brief overview in terms of the the uh, performance of the hotels. Yeah. On the sales side and the acquisitions, um, there was a tremendous amount of capital that was raised during uh, COVID in the mid two thousand uh, end of two thousand beginning of two thousand and twenty and into the middle of two thousand twenty, and that was uh, capital was raised with the anticipation of a tidal wave of four closures in the hotels. <laughs> right, right. Um, that didn't did it really, come? Uh, that did not materialize. Yeah, um, that's what, the, the that's interesting part, right? Yeah. So what we're seeing today, quite honestly, in terms of transaction on hotels, it's as if COVID never happened. So buyers are looking at 2019 revenues and net operating income, and prices that are being paid and cap rates that are being achieved based on 2019 numbers. Yeah. Um, are on a par with 2019, and in many, many cases, 
um, are even better than you could have expected in 2019. So it's an interesting phenomenon. And I'm not talking about just the drive-to markets. I'm talking about products in San Francisco, downtown LA, convention center business. Um, it's a little bit of a disconnect between what has gone on during COVID and what prices yeah. are being paid today. Yeah, yeah. And the reason I, I wanted to start off here is to sort of level set in terms of kind of where things are, because I think when the pandemic hit, I think it was one industry, like you said, uh, you know, as, as evidenced by all the funds that were raised during 2020, um, a lot of people anticipated this market to be, uh, you know, really broken for a while. So tell us, you know, maybe let's take a step back and just sort of, you know, um, you know, provide a perspective on kind of how the industry, you know, performed in 2020 and maybe early 2021. So for all intents and purposes, the industry was completely shut down, um, you know, after March of 2020. Um, that is something that in the 30 plus years I've been in the business, you know, I've been through a few recessions, but have never, ever experienced what we experienced in 2020 with a complete shutdown of business. Yeah. The big difference uh, that happened during COVID is the position that the lenders took with working with their borrowers. And that broke down into two different sectors. Conventional lenders, example of Wells Fargo or uh, any of the major, major lenders, um, they basically took a position very, very early on to work with their borrowers to defer payments, do forbearance. There were a lot of uh, grants being offered through the Small Business Administration. And that really basically stemmed anything in terms of distress or foreclosures. On the other side, the commercial mortgage-backed securities, they were operating under a completely different playbook, and they sort of gave a better reflection of what was going on in terms of valuation in the marketplace. And the wave of distress sort of started from New York and spread uh, west from New York. And there were a number of deals that the CMBS lenders actually took back and foreclosed on. And they saw huge, huge uh, discounts to what their previous appraisals were. In some cases, up to 90, 95% below appraised values. Wow. Um, <laughs> so when that started to happen, the CMBS uh, and the special services decided, look, we, we better take a different position here because we are losing so much money. Yeah. Um, and they, they then moved more towards doing what we're seeing with the conventional lenders. So um, that anticipated huge tidal wave of hotel foreclosures and the uh, distressed buyers that were sitting on the sidelines simply didn't materialize here on the West Coast. There were a number of the deals in New York and you know into Chicago and the mid-United States, but we did not see anything like the kind of anticipated distress here in California. Yeah, yeah, which is which is super interesting. And so, um, and so, things in twenty twenty one as the vaccine kind of started rolling out, right, um, improved. Correct. Yes, definitely towards um, you know, as we saw more of the vaccinations, um, the the market definitely turned around. 
And we definitely saw a lot more people traveling. And because of the restrictions on international travel, and in some cases, even restrictions on traveling to Hawaii, which would be a close competitor to California, uh, you had a lot of people that had been pent up for so long that were just so motivated to get out in the car and, you know, travel again and stay at hotels. And, um, you know, California definitely benefited from that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So as we now, you know, are, you know, coming to the end of, you know, 2021, um, you know, I would love to take sort of a deeper dive a little bit into, you know, the, you know, different sub-segments, if you will, of the, of the, of the industry, right? So you and I talked about this a couple of days ago, um, you know, uh, you know, how does the downtown sort of central business district hotel, you know, do compared to like, you know, off the highway sort of product, convention center product, um, you know, let's maybe go into that if that, if that's okay. I would, I would love to sort of hear your, your perspective on, on, on each and kind of what is maybe the, you know, principal driver, uh, of, you know, values, sure. um, in, in that, in that subsegment as well. So if we look at the uh, convention and uh, center markets, again, San Francisco and downtown Los Angeles, uh, there is a extremely long lead time. You can't simply switch a button and say, we're going to have a three, 4,000 person uh, convention uh, or meeting. Uh, same with other events. So the lead time for that, um, you know, from some of the recent studies, say that the markets like the downtown San Francisco, downtown Los Angeles, are probably not going to get back to 2019 numbers. You know, the soonest is probably 2024. So um, what you have to then look at is, you know, how do those hotels uh, manage to cover their overhead and their debt service during that period of time that's the two to three year Uh, recovery time. So the question mark there is going to be, can the lenders or do the lenders want to be able to work for that length of time? And secondly, are the regulators going to allow them? So that's a big question on a moving forward basis from the meeting and convention business. The um, outlying markets, for example, areas like uh, Riverside County, Moreno Valley, Uh, They are doing phenomenally well because of all of the distribution centers that are set up in the factories out there, such as Amazon and, um, you know, the delivery uh, delivery distribution centers. And they have definitely benefited from that expansion in terms of valuation. um, I I think it's sort of interesting to make a couple of reference points. So the highest price per room ever paid in California uh, was December of 2019. Talk about, uh, <laughs> right. Talk about poor the timing, timing, right? <laughs> and that was for the sale of the Montage in Beverly Hills that traded at just over $2 million per room. And that price was up 15% from the, le- the, the last time we had a record number, which was back in 2015. So that was four years before yeah. we eclipsed that prior um, highest price paid per room. We then go through COVID, the biggest downturn that we've ever experienced in the hotel business. You would, you would anticipate that we would not see record numbers on a price per room. Having said that, the Ventana property uh, that was purchased by Hyatt closed at $2.5 million per room. 
the montage up in Healdsburg closed at over $2 million per room. So yeah, we, wow. we have these phenomenal properties in uh, unbelievable locations that are achieving just incredible valuations. Um, and I think that that's a combination of, you know, still the belief in long-term prospects for California and the fact that there is a lot of money out there looking to basically safe investments. But yeah, that, that was going to be my follow-up question. You know, what, what is driving devaluation? I mean, you know, as a business person, you think, you know, revenue and net income <laughs> drives the valuation as well. It, are they operating at such a level where they're able to, you know, charge in, in you know in enormous amounts for you know people staying there? Well, or is it kind of a future? You know, they're hoping that we'll get to the 2019, 2018 levels at some point. It's, uh, where, where, where is that? It's really the buyers today are buying into the future, um, and they are obviously predicting um, good growth in rate good growth and profit. They're obviously predicting that interest rates are going to stay low, which obviously uh, has a big, big factor to play in what cap rate. <laughs> right. is, okay. um, and then they're also believing that, you know, the expenses stay in line. And we are, that might be another part of our topic of conversation in terms of, you know, the labor cost. But yeah, today, yeah. today in the hotel business, um, and I'm hearing it in some of the other product types, is really, I think the main factor driving values is the tremendous amount of capital um, that's looking for a place to invest. And, you know, obviously very little returns of sitting with your money in the bank. Um, and buyers look at the hotel business and say, if we're going to have inflation, I want to be in a product type that I have the ability to change the rates on a daily basis unlike long-term retail leases or long-term industrial leases. So sure, sure, sure. I think that's what's driving a lot of the yeah. interest. And, and Alan, you said that you work exclusively with sellers. So what is a profile of a seller? And maybe there's not one profile. Maybe there's you know many reasons. But why would um, a hotel owner today decide to sell? I think um, a lot of our clients that we are talking with uh, never anticipated the kind of values uh, after going through COVID that they're seeing today. They were expecting that they were going to have to sit on these hotels for the next, you know, five, 10 years to get back to where they were for 2019 values. So that, that's, you know, point number one. Um, the, the second point in terms of California, which is a little bit uh, different to a lot of other states, is that we have a lot of owners um, whose hotels have been purchased by the state um, for uh, okay. Project Home Key. And again, the prices that have been achieved, and there was something like 93 hotels that transacted at the end of 2020 in California um, close to a billion dollars in the last five or six weeks of the year. And the state paid a big, big premium over what those hotels uh, were really valued at. So you have a lot of people that are looking to replace that uh, investment in 1031 exchanges. So again, it's driving price up. So the main reason that uh, a lot of the clients are looking to sell, they look at today's market and go, if I'm not a buyer at these kind of yeah. prices, then it might be time for me to take a little bit of money 
off the table. Um, yeah, and that's what they're looking at doing. Yeah, you mentioned uh, you know you only do work in California, but I yeah suspect you know a little bit about sort of the industry across the country as well. How does what's happening in California compare to let's say you know the West Coast, maybe Western United States, to you know other parts of the country? Well, it's it's interesting. So um, I was looking at these statistics this morning. So through September of this year, um, the United States as a whole. The rev par for hotels uh, are up forty seven point three percent over where they were last year. Um, wow, okay. the, the Pacific region is up over forty one percent. California is up only thirty three percent. Again, I think uh, you know a heavily reliance on you know three major major areas there: Anaheim with Disney, uh, yep. Los Angeles with the Convention Center, uh, Staples Center, and all the events that they normally have there, and then San Francisco. Again, with the convention and meeting business and the fact that international tourism has completely you know, disappeared. So Hollywood and markets like that have really, really been impacted. Um, I would say that you know, San Francisco, uh, in, in many cases, is probably the hardest hit market in the U.S., followed by New York. And um, we've heard rumors in New York of something like close to 25 or 30 percent of the hotels there will not reopen as hotels wow and and you you attribute this primarily to lack of tourism at this point number of factors in new york um one is the the lack of uh, tourism lack of uh, convention and meetings business but the um what we're seeing in new york and i think some of the cities here in california have to be cognizant of this is the um, the, the cost of labor and the cost of union hotels. And so many owners, you know, have had hotels that are closed down, but because of their union contracts are forced to continue to play employees. Um, and there's no way for them to get out of that. So it, it, in many cases, it's pushing a lot of owners to say, I'm closing down altogether and I'm going to change the use to uh, apartments yeah. or something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. That is that is, that is interesting. Um, so we touched a little bit on on the you know employment side of things. B- before we jump into that, I do want to uh, also pick your brain a little bit about you know technology and sort of the operations side of the of the industry. How much has that evolved? How much is that changing? Um, where where is the industry heading in that in that regard? Well, I think that the the, the technology uh, does play in a large part on the labor side. So you have um, a number of hotels that are moving towards uh, allowing you to open up the door with your your iPhone and the key card. So yeah. completely, and again, this was, um, they focused on this during COVID to avoid um, interaction with the front desk. So you could go straight to your hotel room and, and, and check in. So from a technology standpoint, they're trying to make it a lot safer and simpler and straightforward, um, and 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 that's what we're seeing. Obviously, the growth of the online travel agents and the uh, ability to you know book direct with the with the hotels that technology is continuing. But I think the main thing is looking at um, sort of bypassing the front desk, and that way the hotels are now looking at perhaps fewer employees. Uh, yeah. and then just checking straight in you know via your phone with a code 
Yeah, and and that's something that I've heard also in other industries where where you know companies that are having a really you know difficult time with finding employees, right? That they're moving towards technological solutions to kind of you know help them with that, right? Yes. Um, and employment has been a big issue, obviously not just in this industry, but but in others. But maybe give us kind of a perspective of how difficult it is to uh, find workers these days in the in this industry. Well, it's um, I, again, I think because of some of the programs that the government has been offering, um, sure, has sure, kept a lot of people motivated to stay at home and not work, uh, as opposed to going into work. That's number one. Number two is, um, again, because of COVID, a lot of hotels and the major major brands, Hilton, Marriott, Intercontinental, um, actually moved away from daily maid service. And I think that might be something that we see continuing going forward where, um, you know, when you check into a hotel, you may not get your daily maid service unless you actually request it. We may see hotels uh, differentiate between a certain rate if you want daily maid service and a rate if you only want service once every three or four days. Interesting, um, yeah. That, that will happen. Uh, during COVID, uh, the hot breakfast buffet disappeared. That again is a big, big savings for the hotel owner, whether or not that comes back. Um, you know, that'll be, that'll be a question, but, um, the labor cost outside of any debt servicing labor is the one biggest, uh, single expense for hotel operations. And, you know, with with rising minimum wage and everything else, that is not going away. That continues to climb. And I think you will see uh, even more advancements on the technology side to where they can minimize the amount of employees, um, unfortunately. But I think that that's where we're going in the hotel industry. Yeah. Do you th- do you anticipate uh, hotel brands sort of allocating some of these, you know, names that they had? to provide sort of different level of service. So like, let's say a brand A with a big hotel name will imply daily made service, but then brand B will be sort of like, you know, twice a week or something like that. Like, do, do you see them using those names to kind of differentiate maybe, you know, a, a, you know, a type of service or a type of, um, you know, offering for a certain segment of, of the population? Yeah, I think uh, in the hotel business, they sort of already have that. If you're going to stay at a Marriott Ritz-Carlton, there's a certain yeah. expectation that you're going yes, to have right. turn-down service, you know, a little note on your pillow and uh, right. some, uh, <laughs> you know, cookies at nighttime or whatever. Then you look at the Fairfield Inn and Suites by Marriott, and that's by definition limited service. Um, so limited service also uh you expect that you're going to pay obviously a much, much lower rate than you would at the full service component um, of Marriott. What is interesting on that sort of line of thought is that a hotel owner um, with a number of large properties in Orlando is now experimenting with um, items such as paying. He's basically mirroring it on the airline business, you know, if you want to put two bags. Are you checking a bag or not checking a bag? Yeah, right? Southwest <laughs> Airlines, I want to get yeah. an early check-in. I want to be, uh, so early check-in you pay more for. If you want to use the swimming pool, you're going to pay more for it. If you want to use the, the gym. So they'll start off with, here's the rate. It's going to be 200 bucks a night. But if you want to use the gym, you want to use the pool, you, you, all of those are sort of added on items. Interesting. And yeah. I think... Um, 
only time will tell if that comes through under the same umbrella of that. Um, and you may have read recently that Marriott is being sued um, by uh, the attorney general, I believe, in Washington, D.C., for the they're saying non-disclosure of resort fees. Um, and that is something that has been a little bit of a, a touchy subject with the guests and everything else where you would think if I'm staying at a resort in California or in Hawaii, you know, I'm paying $400, $500 a night because I'm staying at a resort. Why then am I getting charged a $50 resort fee, you know, for, for towels and things like that? So right, um, right. there's definitely um, a backlash uh, coming and there's, and there's uh, lawsuits that are happening. And I think we'll have some legal precedent that will be set on what hotels are allowed to charge for and not charge for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you noticed um, any hotels or any brands doing something that's interesting, innovative, that you think is sort of creative and might, uh, you know, be kind of a, a, a nice consequence uh, coming out of the, you know, pandemic? Um, you know, the, the, the product type that withstood and did the best during the pandemic um, were the extended stay hotels. So an example okay, yeah. would be Residence Inn by Marriott. Um and these were hotels that had, you know, kitchen facilities in there and that people were staying there for long periods of time. They didn't need daily maid service. And, um, you know, they were able to use Uber Eats and delivery services and everything else. So I think from the hotel standpoint, there's a movement towards that. From a, from a creativity standpoint, I think we saw um, a resurgence of, uh, of, of the motel, the exterior motel. Um, that you might see along Route 66, for example, that yeah. for all intents and purposes, you know, everyone said was dead. No one wanted the exterior corridor motel. Uh, the, the big brands don't touch them. They want interior corridor. But during COVID, uh, the fact that you could drive up to your door and just go straight in, uh, as opposed to having to go through a lobby or going into an elevator, um, was a definite big, big plus. And you're yeah, seeing very appealing. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you're seeing a lot of people invest in those deals and refurbish and make them hip. And they've sort of uh, had a resurgence. So that's, that's one area that we're seeing making a good comeback. Interesting. Interesting. And, and yeah, and you mentioned, uh, some of the extended stay, I, 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 you know, there are some institutional investors that have raised a lot of money and have invested, uh, in, you know, portfolios of, of these, do, do you anticipate some of this money that was raised during 2020 to kind of carry over? Um, or, or are we going to sort of hit at some point sort of a ceiling in terms of the interest and kind of where this money can be allocated? I, I see it carrying over. Um, I think that there's just an insatiable appetite out there. There is a tremendous amount of new buyers coming into the market. So if, if there's anything that differentiates this, it is that we're seeing a lot of new, new buyers and new investors, um, which tells you something about where we're at from a valuation standpoint. Um, you know, I speak to many, many of my clients and you know, when I ask them, you know, is there anything that you've seen traded over the last six, nine, 12 months that you wish you had purchased? And very seldom do they come back and say, yes, that, that's a deal that I would have bought. So um, it might be that the new money has a new look at things and that it's going to be right. And the, the, the older clientele just are having a hard time, you know, with the underwriting. But I, I see this continuing into um, 
definitely into 2022. And the big, big difference that we're seeing on the hotel side of here in California, you know, the two things that really affect you are going to be a big downturn from a recession or an oversupply. We're actually, for the first time last year, saw a decrease in the supply. And that is, that's usually impossible to find. And why did we see that? Number one, 93 hotels purchased by the state and converted to homeless housing. Yep. Yep. And then secondly, for the, for the first time I've ever been doing this in 30 years, the number of hotels that are being purchased now and converted to apartments is unprecedented. I've never seen this kind of uh, activity before. Yeah. So you're, you're having dwindling supply, especially in the, I'm going to call it the budget segment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. So, uh, Alan, as we you know close our conversation here, um, you've given us a little bit of a preview of sort of where the rest of the year might be. But as you look towards you know 2022 and beyond into you know 2025, right? What what are you what are you thinking? Some of the trends are going to be, and, and I know it's dangerous to sort of predict that, but because you know you never know. But you know if 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 you could kind of see some areas where do you think uh, those areas might might take us so i think first and foremost you know and we've, we've we've talked about this a lot of during the conversation is the the convention and center business and the downtown yeah. markets um not only you know not only is that a lag time here before that business comes back to the meeting and conventions but in many cases you have a lot of people moving out of downtown areas and there's been a lot of talk about you know are they going to come back to the office or are they going to continue to work remotely and if you're working remotely that's again a dwindling supply of business travelers that you've got in the marketplace so i think if we're going to start to see um distress deals that's probably going to show up in some of the downtown business markets first um if if that's going to materialize so that's going to be something that we look out for the other point second point is that um during this downturn not only of the lenders deferred payments but the major brands have held back from uh pushing owners to finish property improvement plans upgrade their hotels and everything else as we come out of this covid period uh you're going to see the brands start to you know, come down on those hotel owners to say, hey, you got to stop putting in new beds, new this, new that. Um, and they simply don't have the capital. So yeah. you you then run the risk of losing your franchise. If you lose a franchise, you're in default on the loan. So I think that there are some issues there. And last but not least, uh, which we didn't address, we did talk about employees, but insurance. The insurance cost on hotels, uh, you know, Especially in any of the areas that were fire prone. Yep. Um, yep. Forget about the cost going up three, four, five times. In some cases, you can't even get insurance. Yeah. yeah. So those deal, are yeah. those are other issues that you need to be aware of. So from my crystal ball, I, I I think there has to be a step back in terms of um, this price appreciation that we've seen and the buyer demand because, and you know. These new buyers now have to run the hotels, and let's see what those numbers look like, you know, two, three years down the road. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Well, Alan, thank you. This was very informative and um, a great sort of, you know, look into the industry that's, um, you know, such a such a big one on the on the West Coast, obviously. Um, I appreciate you taking the time to walk us through it. Stay well and uh, be safe. 
You too. Have a good weekend. Thank you for listening to the Real Perspectives podcast. Stories like these help us shape our understanding of the industry, and we appreciate you taking the time to listen to it. Please follow us on any app where you get your podcasts and tell your colleagues about us. Thank you in helping us spread the word about our work and the industry that is changing the face of business. 